Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Pat Donovan, joined by old friend and War Room Talk colleague, JP Nosarino. What's going on, man? I am back from the dead and uh, in the dead of winter, ready to talk some baseball. Yeah, we got plenty to talk about tonight. The hot stove has heated up as it always does when I seem to go to record these episodes. So we're going to do some news and notes, and then we're going to cover some players that have the widest spread between their high and low pick in the early NFBC ADP. So let's kick it off tonight talking about Andrew McCutcheon to the Phillies. So McCutcheon lands in Philly where he should have a prominent role either in the middle or near the top of the lineup. JP, what do you make of the move for McCutcheon, who has been going on average at 173? I believe he's actually moved up from that, so he's probably going right around 150 right now. But still, what, what do you make of him at that price? I think uh, it's a decent price for him. I don't think that the move changes his price too much. You know, I think he kind of holds the same value as he did last year. But uh, you got to hope you get more of the second half uh, McCutcheon that you saw in Yankee Stadium because he was a much better player once he moved to the AL. Uh, he had like a 421 OBP. He's close to 900 OPS. He was taking a lot of pitches. And uh, hopefully he can be that, you know, veteran source in the Phillies lineup and, you know, get on base a lot and drive in runs. And, and in that, that ballpark, you got to love any hitter. So he's only 32 years old. He's definitely got some left in the tank. I think it's a decent price at that, at that pick. Yeah, I mean, he still runs a bit. So, I mean, there's the potential for that 10 to 15 steals. Uh, in Philly, I think he can hit upwards of 25 to maybe even 28 homers, given the ballpark. I know last year the power was down a little bit, but he spent most of the year in San Francisco, which is an incredibly difficult park to hit in. Chape, as you mentioned, great points. Um, once he went to Yankee Stadium, he really kind of got himself straightened out. So it could just be as simple as the ballpark. I, I, I think we both expect Philly to add a big piece. Um, whether it's Harper or Machado or right. they get creative somehow. So I think that lineup should be pretty good. And I think he's going to hit probably towards the middle of it. Um, so he should be pretty good for runs and RBIs. I mean, to me, 275, 25, 15. And that's really, really good at about a 150 ADP. Um, you know, that's more of like a top 75 type player in my book, if not higher. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a, a very solid pick. Uh, he's, he's only 32. He's still got plenty left in the tank. I think he definitely have a solid season. And he's got a lot of good talent around him. And if they, like you said, if they had Machado or a Harper, it's only going to get better. Yeah. Okay, let's move it to the three-team deal that took place between Tampa, Seattle, and Cleveland. So let's start with the Cleveland piece, getting Carlos Santana back, bringing him back home, and adding Jake Bowers as well. So Carlos Santana returns home. Do you see any change in his value um, from where he was? Honestly, not that much. I really don't. I think he's going to be similar to McCutcheon. I think he's, you know, the same kind of player. I don't think, uh, you know, where he is kind of matters too much to him. He was in a decent offense in Philly. He's probably in a little better offense in, in Cleveland. You know, he's back home. But I think he's a decent player. You might see a, a little bit of an increase in the counting stats. But I think he remains a similar value. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a nice upgrade over Seattle. I mean, obviously, he never played a game in Seattle no. for the Mariners. But um, based on the way things were looking, I think this is a significantly better place. Um, you know, we had a lot of success in Cleveland. And, and I, think, I think you're right. I think he is what he is at this point. You know, 250, 260 type hitter. 
I know the average was down last year, but I think that's a BABIP issue, and I suspect that he'll, um, you know, return to form as far as that goes. It's not like he developed any kind of strikeout issue or anything like that. And, uh, you know, 25 to 30 homers in that ballpark. And with great OBP, I imagine he's going to be situated, you know, either in the middle of or after Lindor and Ramirez. That's obviously a very desirable spot. Um, so it's definitely an uptick in his value from where he was in Seattle. Um, and, and, you know, I think the market is a little low on him right now. I, I think that they'll, I think that he is probably right now, he was a little overrated last year. And right now I think he's probably a little underrated. So I expect him to be a pretty good source of run production. Um, you know, OBP, obviously he goes way up, but you know, I, I think that I think he'll be pretty good um, in Cleveland next year. Now, for Bowers, he didn't have the best start in Tampa. What's his outlook now? Yeah, Bowers was a little weird. I know he showed some glimpses last year. There was a couple of games and weeks in particular where he kind of wrecked me. Like he would, uh, I mean, he batted what like two hundred one for the season, but he had a couple games where he just. And but he, he, had, like, he, got, he had 450 against you? Yeah, and he got all his hits and <laughs> runs scored in bunches, it felt like. I mean, he had a couple of games where, where the Rays would just go crazy and he would you know, score five runs in two days and, and then he wouldn't do anything for a week. So you know, he's obviously still got a lot of talent. There's some upside, but I'm, you know, I'm not crazy about what I saw last year. He's got that 201 is terrifying. You've got to improve on that batting average. So uh, he's you know, going to a good organization. Maybe they could turn him around, but... I'm, you know, a little scared of him. I mean, I find him intriguing. The strikeout rate isn't prohibitive, so he's kind of like Santana in that sense. I mean, Santana's K rate is in the teens, and and Bowers is over twenty. But Bower, it's not like Bowers is like a thirty percent guy. Um, he's got a good walk rate, and he has enough speed to make up for the fact that he's not an elite power guy. So you're looking at like a twenty twenty five ten fifteen type. Um, but like Santana, he's going to have that batting average issue because of the balls in play and it, it comes from Bowers having a very pull heavy approach and being a bit easier to defend, um, you know, than hitters that tend to spray the ball around the field. So, you know, does he probably deserve better than he got last year? Yeah. But I don't know that he's going to be any better than a 260 hitter. So, I mean, if your ceiling is 260, 25, 10, it's good, but it's not, it's not outstanding, especially when you're going to be hitting towards the middle to the end of a lineup, even as talented as Cleveland's is at the top. Yeah, I'm not not crazy about him. I'm going to wait and see. I'm not going to jump at him early in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I just do want to point out, though, I mean, Cleveland's park is a bit better than Tampa's for power, All right. particularly from the left side. So that's a nice plus. And the division is also going to be much easier um, in terms of the pitchers he's going to face. He's not going to have to face – Sale and Price and Paxton and um, yeah, I'm forgetting some Severino, Tanaka, Tanaka, etc. Um, so I mean, it, it gets a little bit easier instead of those guys. He's facing Ian Kennedy and Brad Keller, yeah. and you know whoever the hell the White Sox are throwing out there, James Shields. Um, so you know yeah. uh, that that's a little <laughs> bit of an upside as well. Um, I do think that there are going to be people that like Bowers more than me though in most drafts. Okay, so Yandy Diaz goes to Tampa. Um, seeing that Tampa gave up Bowers and Cash, I mean, they must really like Yandy Diaz. Do you have uh, any kind of strong feelings on Yandy Diaz? I mean, not really. Uh, the guy's got one homer in 265 career at-bats. 
Uh, he's obviously was, you know, blocked. He didn't have a lot of playing time, and he's going to get a lot more playing time in Tampa. Obviously, they see something in him. Um, the one thing I read, you know, looking at uh, when we were researching this, uh, they wanted a bigger righty bat because, you know, they're going to face three lefties from the Yanks and the Sox, respectively, most likely. So they wanted a, another righty bat in their lineup, but I'm not sure why they gave up so much for him. Obviously, they, they're high, high on him, but I'm going to wait and see. Well, I, I think I know what Tampa is thinking here is Diaz makes a ton of hard contact. He hits the ball right. extremely, extremely hard. Um, the issue is, is that he hits the ball into the ground. So I, I think this might be a launch angle bet where they think that they can get this guy in because if you've, if you've seen him, he's massive. Right. I mean, he's, he's in incredible shape. Um, so, I mean – the, the 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 batted ball data is not fluky when it comes to him. He certainly has the strength to hit the ball hard. Um, so I think Tampa's bet here is, is that they can turn that launch angle around. And if they do that, he's got the sort of contact skills uh, where he'll be a very good power and average type combo. And that's becoming increasingly rare. And he's also a good defender at third base. So I, I think they see a lot of pieces that they can sort of mold. But, I mean, Cleveland's not a bad organization either. So that strikes me as a red flag that they didn't, you know, it, it, this, isn't, this isn't something new. You know, this isn't Marlon Bird figuring out how to lift the ball and hit the ball hard, you know, five, seven years ago or whatever Marlon it was. Bird. But it, it's – it's not a new concept at this point. So, I mean, I would imagine that Cleveland was bringing this up and for whatever reason, it wasn't clicking. Now, maybe in Tampa, they'll find a way to make it work. Um, He's intriguing from that perspective, but you know, this is strictly, you know, the end and end of your draft in a deep league uh, for Yandy Diaz. So Edwin Encarnacion goes to Seattle. You know, I doubt he sticks there. But what are your thoughts on Encarnacion, uh, simply from a skills perspective? Because, I mean, we have no idea if he's going to stay in Seattle or not. Yeah, from a, uh, you know, he's only 35 years old. He's going to be 36 on January 7th. I had him last year. I traded for him uh, midseason. He was great for me down the stretch. Uh, I'm still very high on him. I'll be, you know, depending on where he lands, you can even get higher. Uh, you'd like him to stay in the AL, obviously, so you can, you know, see some DH. Uh, he's got 30 plus home runs each of the last seven seasons. He's driven at a hundred runs. I think six out of the last seven, he's, uh, as dependable as they come, as long as he stays healthy, I think he's in for, he could absolutely duplicate what he did last year. And if he goes, he gets traded to a, you know, a really good offense and the sky's the limit. Yeah. I, I mean, I saw some skill deterioration here. I mean, the K's are up, the walks are down. But I, th- I still think he's at a level where he's a pretty safe bet for 30 bombs. But I think the average might be a bit lower than what we're used to. And he's always been a guy that's kind of been capped in terms of batting average. You know, I think his best seasons are like 270. Um, and, you know, I just think 260 might be more of like a ceiling batting average wise. And you might need to look at him more as like a 245, 250 hitter at this point. Um but, you know, if he goes tumbling down the board, like I feel like there's a little bit of momentum going that way. Then he could become a solid value. But I'm not crazy about him at his current price. 
Okay, Wilson Ramos to our favorite team, the Mets. They continue having an active offseason, adding Ramos. What do you think of the fit? I think it's a good fit as a fan, and uh, from a fantasy perspective, I think it's uh, it's going to be a, he's going to be a decent catcher. Obviously, the whole thing is with him is if he stays healthy. Uh, the Mets are obviously making some improvements with Cano. Uh, you wish Chesterfield was there for the full year, and maybe he can bat behind him, you know, and see some better pitches. But I think he'll definitely be a middle of the road to higher end uh, fantasy catcher. I wouldn't mind taking him, you know, maybe. Right outside, you know, right around the top 10 catchers. But uh, I think he's going to be decent. It's, it's all the health with him. You know, we know he can hit. We know he's a big guy. We know he can hit for power. That's never been an issue. He's hit every time he's been on the field. So he's just got to stay on the field and he'll be productive. Yeah, I mean, from a fantasy perspective, I think the fit is kind of middling. I mean, the Mets project to be probably an above average lineup at this point based upon the moves they've made. But the ballpark's neutral. It's not an elite lineup. Um, so, I mean, there were definitely places he could have gone elsewhere that would have been better for him from a fantasy perspective. Um, but, you know, I mean, in terms of skills, in terms of him as a player, Ramos presents a really nice combo of average and power behind the plate. There's not many of them that can do that, especially in the current climate. I mean, he's he could realistically finish with 290 and 20 bombs if he sees the playing time. And like you said, you hit the nail on the head in terms of health. I mean, it's always going to be an issue. Uh, but his ADP right now is around 140. I believe he's like the eighth or ninth catcher off the board. I really like him at that price. I'm not normally one to um, dive into the big middle on catcher. I'm usually either at the top end or I'm waiting until the end to take one. And I could definitely see myself taking Ramos at that sort of price uh, because – I think the injury factor is more than baked in there. Okay, so Jay Happ went back to the Yankees. Uh, does the park scare you off, or are you buying the recent track record? Would you rather have him or Charlie Morton, who signed with Tampa Bay? Uh, depending on how the rest of my draft went, I'd rather have Happ for some stability. I think uh, Morton is more of the risk-reward guy here. He could probably have – definitely has a higher ceiling than Happ. But I think well, Happ- to, no surpri- to no one's surprise, I, I would take Morton. Well, yeah. No, listen, Morton's Because good, he, I just don't care about risk at all. Right. No, it just Morton just had a, was shaky at times last year. He, he was he was dominant, you know, one start and shaky the next. Uh, I just think I, I like what I see from Happ. You know, he knows the division well. He's got good numbers in the division. Uh, I think he's, if you're playing in a league with wins, he's definitely more likely to get more than, uh, than Morton would. I think he's a solid guy to round out your rotation. He's a decent innings eater. I think it, the track record is legit. Yeah, I mean, in terms of Morton versus Hap, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather have Morton, as I said. I think he's got better overall skills. He's in the better ballpark. He's got better defense behind him. Uh, I certainly do worry about the innings from, an, from a health perspective. And also, you know, if you're in a quality starts league, I don't know how many times he's going to hit the sixth inning in Tampa. Um, they're, they've certainly, they're certainly on to something with this opener and multiple inning reliever strategy that they had last year where they put together a 90-win season. So, you know, Morton might be five innings and a cloud of dust and done. Um, but, you know, I've got more confidence in Morton's production than Hap, and, and I can explain why. Hap's a fastball guy, and he's in a game that's shifting away from it. And he's older, so it all, all it takes is a little bit of downside from father time to take Hap from useful to terrible. In his time with the Yankees, he was great results-wise. Skills-wise, it was a bit of a different story. 
Um, yeah, it was around a four ERA pitcher in terms of his skills. Uh, you know, so his FIP and his ex-FIP were slightly over four. The homer for nine was huge. The left on base percentage was about 90%. So if the homers are going to be an issue in Yankee Stadium, you know he's not stranding nine out of every ten runners. Um, and, you know, we liked Hap last year pre-draft on, on, on the Fantasy World Order, and we were very high on him. But he was going around starting pitcher 70. Right now he's going around starting pitcher 40. And that's a lot closer to what I view as his ceiling than – when he was going at like 70, 75 last year. And I, I just think I'd rather draft the guy with the skills in the more forgiving situation and, you know, take on the injury risk than deal with a guy that's, you know, doing nothing but pumping fastballs. And if the velocity goes, which it very well could at 36 years of age, it's going to get really ugly, really fast in Yankee stadium. Yeah, I just, I really think it just depends on what you drafted before him. It depends how your staff looks. If you got a bunch of top pitchers and you're confident, then I'd go with Hap, just, you know, be the innings eater to get you some wins. Solid ERA guy. I don't think it's worth the risk on Morton. But if you're not crazy about your pitching staff and you got to take a shot, then Morton's probably the better pick. Okay, Michael Brantley is heading to Houston. Uh, they say he's going to rotate between first base outfield and DH. Did Brantley's healthy season provide some peace of mind for you, or are you avoiding him as the 34th outfielder going at 122 overall? Um, I'm kind of avoiding him. He, he goes from a good offense in Cleveland to a great offense in Houston. Obviously. Chase, don't be so afraid. It's okay. No, I'm, I'm not <laughs> – listen, he finally stayed healthy, and, I mean, the season was not that amazing. He batted 309. That's okay. That's 17 home runs. All right, wait steals. a second, wait a second, wait a second. 309 is not okay. 309 no, is – Excellent. It's excellent, but what I'm saying is when you couple it with the 17 home runs and 12 steals, it's not incredible. I mean, he was a decent player. He's useful. and He's he scored 89 runs. That'll probably go up in Houston. I, I, I'm not a, entirely avoiding him, but I would definitely rather take him at a later spot. Yeah, I, I'm less concerned about the health because generally I think that we sort of overrate health and we sort of think that we know more than we do. I mean, neither of us are doctors. Many of the people that are listening to this aren't doctors, and even if you aren't a doctor, you you haven't you most likely haven't reviewed Michael Brantley's physicals and medical records and examined him. So you know it's just it's one of those things where I think we pretend that we know more than we actually do. And considering the fact that this is a situation where they're going to play him at first base and they're going to play him in a DH capacity, that can only help. Um, you know, skills wise, Brantley is amazing at what he does he's the league leader in zone contact uh courtesy of friend of the pod at bat flip crazy on twitter brantley had a 40 game stretch where he made contact with every pitch that was inside the zone wow that's a quarter of the season where anytime he swung at a pitch inside the zone he made contact with it that's the very definition of a professional hitter in my mind um price wise i think it's pretty good brantley's got Top 50, 75-ish upside. Um, so I think there's some room for profit here. Uh, that's going to be mostly carried by the batting average, yes. Uh, so, I mean, you know, you're you're betting a little bit on the bad of gods, but Brantley has always been a guy that's posted a plus average. Um, you know, he doesn't have the ultra-high-end ceiling, but like, I, like I've been saying, the batting average sources that are useful in this league are – few and far between, especially later in the draft. And 
Brantley does give you a little bit of everything. And like you mentioned, Jabe, this is not a situation where he's going from Cleveland to Miami. Uh, he's going to an equally good, if not better, offense. And in fact, I would say it's better at this point because of what's going on in Cleveland. So, you know, I, I think that Brantley's run production will be there. Again, I think that this is similar to Ramos. I think it's all a matter of health. Okay, Billy Hamilton to the Royals. A match made in heaven with Mondesi and Merrifield in tow. This team could really test defenses from behind the plate and be fun to watch. Uh, do you think Hamilton's going to see the playing time necessary for him to be relevant in 12-team mixed leagues? And is it worth the gamble as a 15th round pick, current NFBC ADP of 188? Okay, um, I think at the end of the year when we look at it, we're going to see that he was relevant somewhere. He's going to be he's going to be drafted in all leagues. He's going to be relevant. I think he's going to help some team somewhere. But I'm not taking him anywhere near the 15th round. I'm I'm really done on Hamilton. I think he's going to get the playing time. It's a young kind of rebuilding team. Like you said, they want to try to have that that three-headed monster stealing bases, and I think they're going to really try to push that out there. But, I mean, he's just – I had him a few years ago in one of his first seasons, and he's just never really blossomed. I really thought he was going to hit better. Uh, you can't live with that, that batting average killing you. Obviously, someone's going to take him probably around the 15th round. I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'll take my steals somewhere else, and I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think I see enough volume probably in the first half for him to be relevant, particularly in roto formats. But if I did end up with him, I'd be trying to deal him by June because it's a one-year deal, and I've got to imagine that Kansas City's got eyes on trading him to a contender to be their like fourth outfielder, pinch runner. That's a good point. Type. So I don't think that he's going to, you know, see a full season's worth of at bats. Um, you know, and this is a strict team construction pick. I mean, if you're devoid of the speed and you have plenty of everything else, that's where you can take Hamilton. Or if you're viewing him strictly as a valuable bench piece, you know, we primarily play, play head-to-head categories leagues, uh, you know, where you can put him on the bench when you don't need the speed, plug him in over the weekend when you need a steal or two, um, where you're good in the other categories. That's probably where he's most useful. Um, you know, Roto, you've, you've got to absorb that batting average to get the steals. In weekly formats, you've got to absorb the lack of volume and the batting average to get those steals and the lack of everything else. So he's, he's a little bit tougher sell, I think, in those types of formats. Um, but, you know, I, I still firmly believe that there's going to be people out there that are going to buy him, you know, in most rooms above that ADP. It only takes one. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of buzz around that Kansas City team from a fantasy perspective with Alberto Mondesi, and Merrifield finally getting his due and the idea that they're going to just run like crazy. I, I just think that it might get a little out of hand as we approach March and it doesn't take much for it to get out of hand at this point. I mean, we've been saying for years that Hamilton's overdrafted. Um, you know, this is the first time I've seen a price where I've said, uh, you know, I'll, I'm thinking about it, which makes me think that by the time March rolls around, he'll be going 30 picks higher and I won't be in on him anymore. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, let's talk about Daniel Murphy because he signed tonight. That's the late breaking news. Yeah. And then we'll, then we'll shift gears to a couple of pitchers. Um, so Murphy signed with Colorado. 
two years, 24 mil. Um, the early speculation is, is that he's going to play primarily first base. Uh, Jape, I know that offline we were talking about this and we really like the move. Why don't you tell everybody why? Well, I mean, he's just one of the most professional hitters in baseball and he just went to the best hitting park in all of baseball. He's got tremendous hitters around him. I think he's going to slide right into that, like DJ LeMay, who role and, and probably be better. Even if he doesn't play second base, he's going to, you know, offensively, he's going to put up the same numbers, if not better. Uh, I, you know, he wasn't great last year. He was injured at times. I think if he's fully healthy with guys, you know, like Arenado around him, I think he could really have a monster season in Forest Field. I don't let's see why not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if – if the health is there, he could be, you know, 25 bombs, 315. And, I, and I'm not somebody that projects a 300 average all that much. You know, it's just batting average is so fickle. But like you said, Murphy's a professional hitter, and Colorado is a hitter's haven. Um, you know, he really turned it on in the second half last year after a rough start. Um, when he came, finally came back from the injury, I believe he hit 315 in the second half. So, I mean, that's the sort of batting average upside he presents. And now, obviously, in recent years, he's pettered with some power. Um, you do have to worry about the knees. So, um, I could see a scenario where the helium gets a little out of control with cores. Um, okay. Because anytime a player goes into cores, the price just goes crazy. I mean, I remember this with Ian Desmond a few years ago. Um, and it doesn't always work out. I mean, it's not a, it's not a guarantee and, um, you know, it, it's not a cure all. And there were some problems with this bad ball authority, but I'm willing to chalk those up to, to injury and coming back from the injury. Um, I'm going to be in on Murphy if the price stays somewhat reasonable, because I do think he could be a major difference maker at a pretty decent price. Okay, uh, let's move it to Murphy's former teammate, Matt Harvey, who signed with the Angels. Um, what is the percentage that you would give on the Angels returning Harvey to relevance? And they also signed Trevor Cahill for a bit less money. Who would you rather have among the two of them? Oh, it's tough. Um, percentage, I'd give it at like maybe 25% of, of turning him back into a really solid pitcher. Uh, Brad Ausmus is the coach there now, so you know maybe working with a former catcher can help him. Uh, it's going to be a shot in the dark to take Harvey. You, you really, really don't know what, what he's going to do. He had some decent starts last year when he went to Cincinnati. Uh, I'd love to see him bounce back, but I'm definitely staying away at most costs. Uh, maybe late in the draft, I'll take a shot at him, but I'd probably go Cahill over him. Yeah, um, I would take Cahill over him to no one's surprise. Um, You know, just on Cahill quickly, um, you know, the Angels infield defense with Angelton Simmons and a healthy Zach Cozart should be very good. And Cahill is a guy that is a 53% ground ball guy to go with a a decent K rate. So I, I think that he's got some upside there. Obviously, injuries are always the question with Cahill. He's never... I think he's gone over 130 innings once. And I think that was, you know, around the turn of the century. <laughs> so it's, it's been a while since he's been able to put together a full healthy, healthy season, but he's the type of guy. I mean, you know, you take with your last pick as your last pitcher, because that's what he costs you. And you take uh, the 100 solid innings he's going to give you. 
and you figure it out when he gets hurt. Um, with Harvey, you know, he was certainly better with the Reds, as you pointed out. Uh, he was under 8Ks per nine uh, with a 450 ERA, so he wasn't that great, um, you know, but just very, very much improved from when he was with the Mets when he was just god-awful. Um, the home run rate was way up, uh, 1.4, and – you know, you might think that this is a ballpark upgrade, but Anaheim actually played really, really bad for pitchers, particularly for when facing left-handed hitters. It was actually a worse park for pitchers from that perspective than Cincinnati. Um, and that's because they had that change in the outfield. I believe they lowered the wall. And so, you know, it might not be – the uh, blessing in disguise leaving Cincinnati that some might think it might be. Um, that said, the Angels have had some success with, with some of these types of pitchers that have been injured um, in terms of being able to turn them around from a production perspective. They haven't always been great at keeping them healthy. Uh, Garrett Richards, uh, Andrew Heaney, Tyler Skaggs. But, you know, those latter two are two that they – brought in that were sort of afterthoughts from their prior organizations. They came up, they weren't that good. And now they've become pretty solid major league pitchers. So maybe the angels can fix Harvey, but I still think at best, I mean, you're looking at like a high threes ERA with a little over eight Ks per nine and good control. So, I mean, the ceiling isn't all that high. And if you're taking the chance and you're rolling him out there, I mean, he could destroy your ratios in a month. Uh, he could just completely bottom yeah. out. Just uh, one more thing on Harvey. I didn't mention it. I mean, the switch to the AL, he's going to be facing the, the Astros. He's going to be facing the Seattle, Oakland, who's got some pop. Uh, Texas, which is a tough place to pitch. That home run rate, like you said, was already uh, not too pretty. It, it could get pretty ugly quick. Yeah, I, I think he's going to have to make – I think they're going to have to work on some sort of adjustment to get him to be able to survive. Yeah. I, I don't think he can go in – and be the same pitcher he was in Cincinnati and live like that. Um, okay, one more pitcher that signed, Anibal Sanchez. Uh, this is late-breaking news. He was signed to the Nats. What do you make of his 2018 revival? And going outside of the top 350, he's free. Are you willing to take the shot on him at the end of, the, end of your draft? He's free. Uh yeah, I mean, he's a guy – he's one. He's 34 years old. He's a guy that, you know, has been on, on everyone's fantasy team at one point or another. He's a guy that you forget about usually at the beginning of the year, and then in June you're, you're looking at him in the waiver wire. Uh, I think if he looks decent in spring training, then I guess he's worth a shot late in the draft. I don't see a problem with that. Well, he, he underwent some changes last year that helped produce the results that he saw. He started throwing the cutter pretty much out of nowhere about a quarter of the time. And as is very popular around the league, he really de-emphasized his fastball. And that was really the key to his success. Um, and his contact management was amazing. He was one of the best at inducing soft contact and limiting hard contact. So, yeah, I mean, I'm willing to buy from a final, you know, pitching spot perspective. You know, I mean, I, I think that, He's shown over a, a significant enough sample last year that he's got something that works. Now, maybe the league adjusts back, but, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to give him, you know, three, four turns through the rotation and see if it's still working. And if it does, you've got a significant value on your hands. And if it doesn't, you just cut bait. 
but at least he's got some kind of ceiling. You know, like I, I see Sanchez's ceiling is much higher than Harvey's at this point, which is kind of funny to say considering where they are in their respective career paths, but I think it's the truth. Okay, let's move it to covering the spreads, tonight's main segment. And we're going to talk first about Giancarlo Stanton, who has a max NFBC pick of 35, a minimum pick, the high, of 16, and an ADP overall of 22.33. So after serving as a consensus first-round pick last year, Stanton is out of the first round and really all over the map for a guy that's a fairly high-end asset. How would you explain that, and which side are you on? Are you on the high or the low side? I'm definitely on the high side. I think the 35 max pick is, is a little ridiculous for Stanton. I would have no problem if any, someone wanted to take him in a late first round. I think if you're getting him you know, mid to late second, even early third, you have a, you have a steal. Uh, I think the numbers speak for themselves. We don't have to go over the numbers with this guy. I'm not sure why he's so all over the map. I guess, you know, People were kind of worried about his psyche, the whole, you know, didn't perform in the playoffs thing. And uh, is that pressure going to be on him? But, the, you know, pressure of coming to New York is kind of off. It's his second year now. I still think the Yankees are, you know, dark horse to sign Machado. So that lineup can only get better. I think he's fine being taken late first, early second. No problem. If anyone wants to jump a little higher, you know, he's going to have massive power. The, the numbers speak for themselves. I don't know. I'm not sure why he's all over the place. Well, I think I think the reason is is that power is being viewed as redundant, um, you know, and pretty re- readily available. And that combined with the fact that Stanton didn't have a dominant season like he did in 2017, the strikeouts were up, the walks were down. Um, you know, I'm closest to the ADP, so I mean, I'm pretty much in the middle of the men and the max. Um, but, you know, being at the ADP level, I'm probably closer to the high end of the range. Um, you know, in addition to the echo chamber of power being plentiful and speed being scarce, I also think that, um, you know, I, I, I just, I, I just don't quite grasp why we're suddenly, uh, viewing these types of players as, as redundant. I mean, Stanton's got, he's a year removed from 50 some odd homers and there's not that many guys in the league that can do that. And he's also a power hitter that can hit for some batting average. I mean, he's not going to be a guy that's going to hit for 300, but you know, again, that year where he had the MVP type season, you're talking 50 bombs, like 275 and that's valuable. <laughs> so, and he's in the middle of the New York Yankees lineup where, you know, he's going to produce plenty of runs. He's in a ballpark that's great for power. Um, so, I mean, I think there's enough upside there to squarely keep him in round two. Um, you know, and, and on the plus side, a point that nobody seems to really mention is he's played 158 and 159 games the last two seasons. Yeah. So, I mean, the injury concerns are pretty much out the window at this point. Um, You know, I think where he goes depends on the temperature of the room on speed and power. And if you've got, you know, a diehard Yankee fan in the room, that's willing that wants a piece of that offense. That's the other part of the equation because the Yankee premium is a very real thing. 
I, I just want to reiterate one more time that the whole pressure in New York thing, it is real. You know, that first first month and a half, he was a little shaky. He started hearing the boos early on, even though he wasn't that bad. If he if he's able to relax, you know, and feel comfortable this season, I really think he can have a similar season like he did in, in Miami two years ago. I don't see why not. Well, I mean, the pressure in New York thing, it, it could also be the problem of switching leagues. Right. You know, like he's not as familiar with the pitchers. And the DH thing. You know, sometimes some guys take a while yes, to, to and adjust there is, to that. Yeah, and there is a DH penalty. That's a great right. point, too. Yeah, so like if he's a lot more comfortable at that DH spot this year, a lot more comfortable in the ballpark, in the city, I, I could definitely see him. He, he hit 38 home runs last year. I could definitely see him getting closer to like 45 again this year. Yeah, and he's not and he's not a total zero in speed either. You know, he can kick in five to seven steals. Yeah, he's still five last year. So, I mean, you know, it, it's not it's not 40. You know, your upside isn't 40. 260 zero right. your upside here is like 50 275 10 yeah which is a really really nice player especially in the middle of that lineup yeah um okay so andrew benintendi is our second pick so nfbc max 39 minimum pick 18 adp 30.4 pretty stable for a young player in terms of his production thus far but ADP indicates there are some that are more sold than others. Is the market split on his upside or uncertain how to value him as he is? I think he is exactly what we saw last year. I don't think his ceiling gets much higher. I think that's the standard year we're going to see from him going forward. It's a solid year all around. Uh, I think that the power could come up a little bit. He only had 16 home runs last year. I definitely see him as a 20-homer guy. But I think you're going to – like you can really – see this year coming for the next few years for him. I think it's going to be more of the same. I think he's a pretty safe bet. His ceiling is, is, is solid. His floor is solid. I think his ceiling doesn't get much higher. That's why maybe some are a little cold on him. That, that's my take on it. I don't think he has that much more. I think he, you know, he's developed and he's arrived and this is who he is. I don't think there's another level to his game. But I think he's, he's, the level that he's at is already good enough. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has those believers in his potential that for a Christian Yelich type breakout where he's 30 bombs plus 20 steals plus and 300 plus. I don't and see I, that. And I, I, well, I do, I do, I, I do think he has that capability. I just don't think it's very probable or if he does it, that it'll be sustainable uh, unless, you know, there's some sort of change that occurs. Um, you know, I, I was a little surprised at the spread, though. I mean, he's like a 2020 lock, a 280 type batting average lock in my mind, and a ton of run production in that lineup. Um, so that's a really, really good floor. Uh, but, you know, I wonder if it's sort of the opposite of Stanton. You know, those that want the extremes in power and speed sort of push the jack of all trades down. And those that like an all around invest asset invest. So I, I think that might explain that the, the sort of spread here is, is that, you know, in certain drafts, it just so happened that player that owners were playing on the extremes and that's how he ended up with a high uh, max pick. And then in others, you know, they were really pushing up to the 2020 types with good batting average. And that's how he ended up towards the upper end. Uh, um, I'm again, I'm a little closer to the ADP. 
but this time a little closer to the max as well. I think Benny's a good player, but there's obvious deficiencies. He's got platoon issues, mediocre batted ball authority, just 28% hard contact, and a career hardware to fly ball rate of 10%. Uh, the speed isn't so incredible that you can count on 30 steals. And plus in that lineup, you know, it's if you're going to run, you better be successful. Um, so, you know, I don't know how often he's going to run. So I think it's like a 2022-90 type package, which is good, but I'm not surrendering better upside for it. So, for instance, you'd rather have Stanton than Benny, right? Yes, but that's without question. Yeah, I think so too. Um, okay, Whit Merrifield, uh, NFBC Max 47, minimum pick 21, and an ADP of 32.27. A 26-pick spread this early in the draft is pretty surprising, but Whit pulls it off. Do you think the speed demon belongs towards the higher or lower end of the spectrum? I think he belongs towards the lower end of the spectrum, but I can't fault somebody if you know you're in love with the player and he fits your team perfectly at that time. Maybe you have some keepers around him or something and you need the speed, you need the average. I can't fault someone from jumping up a little higher and taking him, but I'm definitely towards the the lower end of the spectrum. I like the player. The offense scares me. That team is a little bit, you know, rebuilding in flux right now. You're not really sure what you're going to get from them. Uh, so I'm not going to go crazy on him. I think he's a guy I had a couple of years ago. I wish I hung on to because he wasn't doing much when I had him, let him go. And he turned into a decent keeper in our league. Uh, again, I like the player, but I'm not going to play that, that upper price for him. I'd, I'd wait and try to get him a little later. Yeah. I've got him closer to his max pick as well than the minimum. Um, but you know, that's fairly consistent across the board for me. I'm willing to place the expensive speed steers lower on my board because I'm confident I can get a, a, a decent speed source later. Um, but, you know, at least you can see the consistency where, where I'm not chasing the elite speedsters like some of the market is. Um, you know, I, I find it funny that some people would be lower on Merrifield and still have Trey Turner in the top end of the first round. Uh, see, I think that position is pretty inconsistent. All right. Um, but, you know, putting that opinion aside – I, I think that Merrifield's a guy that's pretty firmly entrenched in, in, into what he is at this point, which is like teens pop 30 plus steals with the possibility for much more, um, you know, 40 plus, I believe he stole 40 plus last year. And I certainly think he can do that again on a poor Royals team with a plus batting average. Now the, um, the, the situation is poor. The run production probably isn't going to be great. Um, but you know, he's going to hit near the top of that lineup. So what he lacks in talent around him, he might be able to make up for in volume. And there's always the chance that they trade him. Um, the walk rate improved last year. He hit the ball harder and he's got eligibility in the middle infield also has outfield. So he's got some versatility. I think he's a pretty nice piece. Um, overall, it's just the type of player. I'm, I'm just not going to pay up for. Okay, let's move to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. NFBC pick. The max is 55. The minimum is 19. And the ADP is 39.2. So the Uber prospect has yet to make his debut. Guerrero made it as high as the second round in early drafts. Can he realistically cash at that level? Or do you think he's more likely to reflect the max pick in terms of his value? 
So I don't think he can realistically or you can expect him to realistically cash at that level. But that doesn't mean I wouldn't take him there. I think he's that his his upside is worth that risk. I think uh, he he is more likely to reflect that max pick. But again, he's got to check all the boxes. We know he's going to be a fantasy stud. He's the guy that everyone's coveted. His minor league stats are outrageous. I think he's got the pedigree to be an absolute fantasy stud. And I, like I said, I think he probably reflects that more of that back end position. But I have no problem taking him right up at the front. I think that the minimum pick in 19 is a little crazy, but you know what? I might be crazy enough to do it. I love the player, and I, I think he's he's going to be a monster. Well, you know, I, I think it would be extraordinary for Guerrero to cash at the 19th overall pick. Right. Um, and I'll lay out an example, and, and I'll preface this with the fact that I'm somewhat skeptical of player raiders, um, you know, but ESPN's player raider, had Nolan Arenado outside the top 20 last year, despite a 297 batting average, 38 homers, and 214 runs plus RBIs. So, I mean, if that's not a top 20 player in terms of value, then Vlad's got almost no shot because he's not going to hit for that level of power. At least I don't think he is. And what he'll make up for, you know, I mean, like, that's his very best case scenario is probably like a really, really strong batting average and 25 to 30 bombs is probably realistically is, 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 you know, whatever, 90th percentile outcome. Um, so it, it's just, it's not going to get him there. Um, you know, I'm super excited to see him but I just can't expect him to, to have that sort of campaign right off the bat. Um, you know, even using the steamer projection for him, which has Vlad leading the league in batting average, by the way, his closest wow. comp is Scooter Jeanette, who in terms of last year's stats and Jeanette finished as the 41st overall player. So, you know, I've got Vlad at his max pick in my rankings, which means I'm not going to get him. <laughs> I fully, yeah. I fully understand that. Um, you know, I, I just think the 2019 ceiling is one that's unlikely to return value at the expected draft cost. Plus, there's the fact we still don't have any guarantee that we're going to see him in Toronto right away. You know, we heard last year he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, but he never saw the majors. And Toronto's not competing this year. That's very clear. So what's their incentive to call him up right away? I mean, I mean, is 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 there not a universe out there where we don't see Vlad until June? I think we see him before June, but I guess you're right. I mean, there is a chance that he he doesn't play the first couple of months. Listen, if you if you ask me where I was, where I think he'll get called up, I think he'll be up by mid-April. But I also see a universe where he's not called up till June. I guess it's anything's possible, you know, with these teams, you never know what they're going to do. Yeah. Okay, Anthony Rendon, NFBC max pick 70, minimum 37, ADP at 52.13. Similar to Benintendi, a sort of steady contributor, so it's odd to see this sort of divisiveness. Is boring is he is boring because is he boring because a little, little excuse me. Is boring causing uh, fantasy owners to be polarizing when it comes to these players. And what do you make of Rendon in a potential 
post-Bryce world in Washington? Well, I think he's a bit boring. I, I like the Benintendi comp. Like, same thing I said with him. I think we know his, his floor is safe. I don't see too much more of a ceiling. I think we know what we're going to get from him. And it's a pretty good season. You, he's, a, he's a good player. You know what you're going to get from him. You're going to be fine if you take him. But I am worried about the, the loss of Harper uh, and Murphy. I think it's, it's – you know, he slides into the probably the cleanup spot or the three-hole. A lot of the pressure falls on him. Uh, that Nats projected lineup is not – as pretty as it was last year. I mean, he's got Eaton and Turner in front of him, Juan Soto behind him. That's nice. But then the, the last four guys, you got Michael Taylor, Wilmer Defoe, and aging Ryan Zimmerman and Jan Gomes. I mean, not terrible, but again, it's not Bryce Harper and Daniel Murphy. I think there's a big chance that the counting stats go down. I see the Nats definitely having a weaker offense than they did last year. And I think Rendon's going to, he's going to, listen, he's going to be a decent player. He's going to be consistent. You can, you know what you're going to get from him, but I don't expect a monster season from him at all. Yeah, I don't think it'll be Michael Taylor. I think it'll probably be Victor Robles. But, right. you know, it, it, you, you, I see your point definitely that the lineup has lost some of its depth. Um, you know, and, and overall, I do wonder whether boring is becoming somewhat polarizing. You know, I view Redstone and Benintendi as extremely safe. Uh, which I suppose can be boring. But, I mean, if you look at Vlad and Rendon in terms of, you know, what you probably should expect this year, you strip away the names, and I think you'll find that the projections are pretty similar. Um, you know, in terms of what you would come up with, even off the top of your head, never mind what Steamer or Zips or another projection system says. Um, it, the difference is, is that Vlad is shiny and new, and Rendon has been the same guy for a few years now. And you can pencil Rendon in for, like, a 285 batting average. Uh, 22 to 25 homers, a handful of steals. And that's what you're going to get if it's, mo- if it's a mostly healthy season. Um, he had a career-high hard contact rate. Uh, he kept the same high-end plate skills. And the profile gives a little upside for power considering how often the ball is in the air. So, I mean, maybe he's got a 30-homer season in him. Um, you know, I-, I like the player quite a bit. I-, I do think he's a little underrated by some. Um you know, and I'm willing to buy him this year, definitely. Okay, George Springer, NFBC Max ADP 83, minimum pick 49, ADP 56.6. After a few years at the top of the draft, Springer has fallen back closer to where he should have been going. But the market is unsettled with 34 pick spread, nearly three rounds in 12 team drafts. Do you see him as a fourth, fifth rounder? If I see him as a fourth, fifth rounder, you know I'm, I'm going to go up to the board and I'm going to be shaking and screaming and, and, and being very excited because you know I'm a Springer guy. I've had him the last two years. I love the player. Uh, I think the injuries were a big part of last year. He had a couple things going on. He had a back issue at one point. He had a couple other minor injuries, but they were nagging all season long. He was never fully healthy. I think if he's you know back to being healthy and – you know, stays in the lineup. He didn't really, he didn't miss many games last year. That's the thing. He was playing hurt, which kind of hurt his, you know, almost wish he would have sat him down for a little while and got him healthy. I really think we could see more of that 2017 season where he was, you know, he had 34 home runs. He's never going to uh, – the dreams of him stealing like more than 10 bases a year are kind of gone. He hasn't done that since 2015. Uh, he's still five and six the last two years. I still love Springer. I understand he's got to come down a little bit to the, around the third round, but if I get him in the fourth, fifth round, I'm extremely happy. 
Yeah, I'm lower on him than the current ADP. Uh, you know, I'm sort of coming at this from the other perspective. This is a significant sample now with Springer. And, you know, I think he kind of is what he is at this point, which is like high 20s pop, a handful of steals, a 265 hitter with good OBP skills, and a very good lineup. And, I mean, that's a good player. It's a good profile. But And often it's one that ends up very underrated. But in Springer's case, he tends to be overrated because I think people are still chasing that 15, 20 steal upside. But like you said, Jay, great point. Four years ago, you yeah. know, it's time to it's time to put that in the past. And the team, and even if Springer, you know, did have the penchant for running, which he doesn't, he's been bad on the base paths. The Astros aren't running as much because the team is good. Yeah. So they you don't know, they don't run him because when you have Altuve and Correa behind them, exactly they don't they don't want to run into outs. Yeah. So. You know, I, I just don't think the steals are going to be there. You know, maybe you're right. Maybe there could be a power uptick, and, and that would make him more interesting to me. But, you know, I thought he was overdrafted last year. I feel the same this year, although I think it's less egregious this year. Um, you know, last year I thought he was a terrible pick where he was going. This year I think it's he, – he belongs in that Justin Upton, Mitch Hanniger – mishmash i mean there's like a group of about five or six outfielders that are just the same exact guy and you know yeah maybe springer goes at the top of that because his situation is really good but it's still you know i I, i'm struggling to think of where it is on my board you know it's right around pick 75 to 80 and you know if springer's going higher than that i'm just not that interested because it, it just i can get what he's going to give me later. Okay. Corey Springer, the seventh player we're going to talk about NFBC max 131 minimum pick 62 ADP of 90.8 coming off the injury. It's obviously a risk tolerance issue. That's creating this wide of a spread. What is your philosophy when it comes to injured players generally? And where are you on Corey Seager? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but we've been in a lot of leagues together. Both football and baseball, I'm just that guy. Call me scared, whatever. I don't touch the injury guys at the draft. I'll make someone else, you know, make that mistake. Even though he looks like he's going to be ready for spring training, those are the reports that he, you know, he looks decent. He's ahead of schedule. I don't touch. I just don't do it because that'll just confuse me on draft day. I want to have another guy in mind where I can lock in and not have to worry about, oh, is he going to play? Is he not? Do I have to draft a backup for him early? So my, you know, general philosophy is just stay away from these injured guys. I'm going to make somebody else make that mistake. And a lot of times it's come back to bite me where, you know, a guy ended up being perfectly healthy and I, I, I passed on him. But, you know, I love the player. This has nothing to do with the player. Corey Seager is, is going to have a great season if he's healthy. I just – I'm going to be very cautious and I'm, I'm going to stay away from him and let somebody else do it. Yeah, I mean, anyone that's listened over the last year plus knows that I love to expose the injury discount. You know, I'm not going to go back to my point of earlier, but it's the truth. Most of us aren't doctors and we're not qualified to, you know, pass judgment on these sort of things. Um, You know, ultimately, I want to buy skills and worry about health later. Now, to your point, Jeep, there is one scenario where I'm, I'm more cautious and and that comes in where the player is starting the year hurt. See if, if the player is starting the year hurt, that's when I will push them down and 
be less likely to own them. But if this is a concern from the end of the year before or, you know, a, a reoccurring issue over multiple seasons or, you know, a, a reoccurrence of missing games over multiple seasons for different reasons, that's different to me. So I just wanted to roll that distinction because I heard you sort of talk about that and that's where I'm, I, I draw the line. So, I mean, if I've got, if it's, if a guy strains his oblique in the beginning of March and it's looking like he's going to be ready by the middle of April. And I know that oblique injuries are not the best for hitters. I'm probably going to push him that player down to the point where I will not get him. But if we're talking about like a pitcher coming back from Tommy John where he's, Certain where the time frame certainly puts him in the rotation to start the year, and I like the pitcher's skills. Uh, I'm willing to take the chance on him in that scenario, and you know, I, and I think that's the case that Seager is um, to some extent. You know, he, he's a he's a hitter that's supposed to be ready for spring training. Um, he's coming back off the injury, um, and, and and I'm in at the closer to the minimum pick. You know, over his two healthy seasons, he was inside the top 75 and inside the top 50, respectively, which makes the ADP a decent value at 90.8. There's some room there for profit. Um, You know, he's a bit of a team construction guy uh, because the power average and run production profile will play. But the issue is that you're taking a zero at in terms of speed at shortstop and you're sort of limiting your speed sources. I mean, there are just not that many guys that steal bases at first base and at third base. Um, So then you're really putting a lot of pressure on yourself to get your steals from the outfield and second base. Uh, You know, I mentioned this when we talked about Robbie Cano, he might be a really good guy. If you can swallow the risk uh, um, to pair with a Jonathan VR or an Alberto Mondesi where He's going to give you a little bit of excess power and give you the batting average to support those guys that are going to be a little um, present a little more risk in terms of their batting average floors. Um, so, I mean, if you put them together, you're sort of looking at two, 270, 2020 types. You know, if you put Corey Seager together with Jonathan VR, you put him together with Alberto Mondesi. Um, and, and I think that's a pretty decent strategy. Okay, Shohei Otani, NFBC max pick 142, minimum pick 69, ADP 94.27. So the steamer projection is very enticing. 589 plate appearances, 31 homers, 12 steals. But, Jake, do you think that the plate appearance number is too high in that projection? And do you think he can be a top 70 player with only 500 plate appearances? I think it's going to be hard to to answer about that plate appearance, you know, issue because, you know, he has a new manager in Brad Ausmus. We don't know how he's going to handle him. I think that kind of changes things. He, he might have a totally different philosophy on how he wants to use him. I, I think it's very aggressive, uh, those numbers, because, I mean, he stole 10 bases last year. I think that was kind of more uh, – he's an athletic guy. You know, he, he's a great athlete. He can do it all. But I think that was kind of on the account, you know, people were sleeping on them. They expected him to run that much. I think people will be more leery of that this year. 
And, you know, it's his second season. That sophomore slump is always lurking. I think the league will start to adjust to him. I, I think he's going to be a d- decent player. Um, I'm probably going to be out on him on draft day just because I know he's going to be uh, be taken way too high where I'm not interested. So I'm probably just going to keep him in the back of my mind and see if he slips. But I'm not going to pay a big price for him. I don't – I mean, I believe the power is real. The OPS is great. I just, again, can't – for sure, lock in those 500 plate appearances. And I think he's going to struggle a bit at times this year. I really do. Yeah, I think the plate appearance projection that Steamer has is high. The Angels also just brought in Justin Bohr. So that gives them three heads for two spots between the two of them and Albert Pujols. Um, Otani's obviously going to be rehabbing from Tommy John and need days off for that. I don't think they'll send him down based on the surgery's timing, but I do think there are going to be days off for him to throw. Um, you know, I, I think I think he could reach 500, but it still feels aggressive. I'm more comfortable around 450. Uh, still at 94 in terms of ADP based on what he did last year and accounting for a bit of regression, I think he could return value at that spot. Um, you know, I should point out I'm viewing this from a daily league perspective as opposed to a weekly league perspective. I'm a little further down on him in Roto or, or, you know, a weekly setup because I do think the volume can hurt you. You know, there I think he needs to be viewed more as like a high-end platoon bat. So I would put him outside the top 100 there. But if I can freely, you know, plug him in when he's playing, plug him out and plug in somebody else to make up the volume when he's not, um, you know, I feel more comfortable with him at 90. Okay, Scooter Jeanette, NFBC ADP max 137, a minimum pick of 62. You know, I think this is another one, and I'm sensing a theme here. Um, You know, never in my life did I think I would call Scooter a safe fantasy producer, but here we are. He's a safe source of average, above average pop, good run production, yet he seems to be all over the board. Are you going to take advantage of the market's trepidation on Scooter? I think you kind of have to. He's really, you know, honestly proven that he's finally figured it out. Uh, he's just, he's some, there's a few guys, you know, every once in a while that, you know, they're big prospects and then they don't pan out. You forget about them. And then they show up three years later and, and here they are. And it's some guys just take forever to develop. I think uh, we know, we know the, you know, the power is real. He's got a good bat uh, in Cincinnati. You know, there's nowhere else you'd, you'd want to hit. A team kind of, you know, is, is, is not expected to be great this year. He can kind of just do his own thing with not much pressure on him and, and repeat the season he had last year. I really think it's possible. Uh, he's had 97 and then 92 RBIs, respectively, the last two years. Uh, he's had 30, 22, yeah, and 30. I mean, that lineup, that lineup is sneaky good. It's sneaky good. But, like, again, they're not, you know, no one's thinking about them right now is what I'm saying. Like, the, he can have just a no-pressure kind of season where he can just go out there and hit. Which is what I think happened the last, you know, in his first couple seasons when he was a big prospect, he was pressing a lot. And well, know, he was never really a big prospect to be. Well, fair. I mean, he, yeah, not huge, but you know, there was always some, at least in our league, there was always you know that guy that took him every year that was you know swearing this was going to be the year. Well, that was Nick. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like it was and a few people, and we haven't but, heard we haven't heard the end of that. Yeah. So listen, I, I obviously he's real. You know, he helped, unfortunately, helped my brother win a championship this year. He was. Phenomenal for him. Uh, I think he's a solid pick at that EDP. I really do. 
at the middle the middle of that ADP. I'm not going to go high as 62, but I think 94 is is reasonable. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is again the boringness of the profile, the lack of steals specifically, um, and I think the other part is remaining skepticism. Nobody wants to get stuck holding 280, 10 homer Scooter Jeanette. Um, yeah. But I'm looking to take advantage, and like I said, the seat, like I said about Seager, I, I think that he could, that Jeanette could be a bit of a roster construction guy because the speed is not there, but he can carry some of the average burden. Power should be 20 plus, good run production. Um, so I think the scarcity and the echo chamber surrounding stolen bases is pushing down these sort of batting average sources and seemingly ignoring what is a bad what is a batting average shortage overall um so i mean again scooter is the type you can put with the mondesi you can put with the vr and you can probably get close to 202270 from the two spots which is what i th- which is what i really think ideally you'll end up with but yeah i'm definitely in on scooter at this price i i i would de- i would probably fight before the adp i think i've got him in the high 80s right now so I'm probably about somewhere between five to ten picks higher than the ADP at this point. Okay, Tim Anderson, NFBC ADP 141, minimum 78, the ADP of 105.47. The market doesn't know what to make of Anderson's breakout, which was really the tale of two halves. Are you buying the power of speed threats first half or second half more? I'm buying the first half a bit more. I'm not crazy on Tim Anderson. Uh, I'm not buying him anywhere near that uh, that low seven. Well, then you mean the second half. Sorry, yes, the second half. My mistake, yeah. sorry. No so problem. My point was I'm not taking him anywhere near that that low of 78. I think that's ridiculous. I think even the 105 middle ADP is a stretch. Uh, the average and OB, OBP are very low. I'm going to let someone else take the chance on him, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm just not going to go out of my way. And, and reach up on Tim Anderson. It was a weird year for Anderson. I mean, the contact profile was essentially the same half to half. The major difference was that Anderson wasn't walking in the second half like the first half. I mean, he's never going to be Joey Votto, but if he can manage a 6 to 7% walk rate like he had in the first half, that's going to lead to some extra stolen bases opportunities. Uh, he's definitely a free swinger at heart. He's got a 40-plus percent O swing. Uh, but otherwise... He's normally a plus BABIP guy, and that was below league average. So I think you can expect about a 255 batting average instead of the 241 that we saw. Um, the pop is pretty decent based on the home to fly ball rate and has been pretty steady across his career. Uh, but even with that, I feel more comfortable projecting him in the mid to high teens than 20 or, or over. Um, you know, I'm somewhat comfortable with the steamer projection. I think he's a little better asset in Roto where you sort of just kind of plug him in and when the stats come, they come because I feel like he's a streaky player. Uh, I think that can get a little frustrating in head-to-head where, you know, you have a lot of over fours um, in a row trying to get to that game where he hits a homer and swipes a bag or, you know, swipes two bags or, um, you know, just kind of breaks out of the slump and gets a little hot. Um, You know, I just think that he's the type of asset that you just want to, plug in and take the 15, 25 at the end of the day. And however it comes and whatever kind of bunches it comes, it doesn't matter. 
Okay, Ahmed Rosario, max pick 175, min pick 104, ADP 141. On the opposite end of the spectrum, Rosario closed the year very strong. Do you prefer Rosario or Anderson at their cost? And do you think Rosario's second half was a sign of things to come? I think it was definitely a sign of things to come. Uh, you know, this guy was very highly touted prospect. I think I definitely take him over Anderson at that ADP cost. I, we saw the light really go on for for Rosario the second. Let half me just let me just ask you this. Okay, so take the call, take the ADPs out of it. Okay, straight up, who would you rather have, Rosario? Okay, I think well, this is my this is my thoughts. I think he we really saw a different player at the plate. It wasn't just like you know good good first half. I mean, a bad first half, good second half. It was more than that. You saw the plate confidence. You saw the plate dif- uh, discipline change. You saw him making better contact, just better overall swings. Uh, the power went up. The steals went up in the second half. I really think he could, he's got the potential to hit 15 to 20 home runs this year. I think he's got sneaky power, and he's still very young. He's, he, he's, he's going to be 23. I think a guy like Robbie Cano can actually kind of help a player like that. Um, I think the Mets are going to have a better lineup. And he was, you know, hitting all over the lineup last year. I think if they, they put him in a good, good, you know, slot in the lineup and the offense is decent, I really see a much better season from him. I could see, you know, the average isn't going to be great. I could see 260. It was 256 two last year. I could see 260, 265, but I could see those home runs going from 9 to 15. I really can. And uh, the 24 steals, I can see that right around there still. I think he's going to score more runs. He should have decent RBIs. Um, I, th- I definitely like him over Tim Anderson, especially at the price. Yeah, I prefer Rosario at the cost. Uh, both players are probably hitting towards the end of their respective lineups. So I don't think we're looking at great run production. So this is all about the other categories. Um, Rosario probably has a bit more average upside than Anderson. And probably about the same power ceiling long-term. But I think Anderson is further along as a power hitter at this point. Um, you know, long story short, I would rather have the 40 picks and lose the five or so homers at this point. Um, and I think everything else will be fairly compar- com- uh, comparable. And I think the difference between the two of them is less significant than the difference between the players that I would get, um, you know, if I took – if I took Anderson and I had to take another player, I, I think I'd rather have the, the other player at Anderson's price than Rosario's price. First uh, bold prediction of the year, I'm going 20-30 homer steals for Rosario. This is not the bold prediction show. Huh? Well, make, <laughs> make one anyway, even being even bolder. All right, let's move to Zach Granke. Uh, Max pick 91, min pick 45, ADP of 66.27. You know, I think Granke has sort of become the line where everybody checks out on starting pitching for a while, but he clearly still has his fans. After consecutive solid years, why do you think the market is polarized and skeptical? I think they're polarized and skeptical for the same reasons I always have been. I guess that's just because his, his psyche. You know, there's always been that issue that he's, you know, he's got the sports psychologist and all that. And is he going to be comfortable playing in certain cities? And I've always kind of stood away from him from that. I, I was actually just thinking about it. He's been in the league since 2004. I've never owned this guy in fantasy. I was really trying to think about it. I don't think I've ever owned him for a day. 
And uh, I, I should have, you know, I, I was foolish a lot of the times. I really think he's found a home in Arizona now. I think he's comfortable there. I don't think his head is an issue anymore. I is, is Caper 9 is still good. The walks are still low. That's always, you know, a good impressive thing from him. I think he's in for another good year. And uh, I, I think it's time for me to stop being skeptical uh, along with many others. I think it's time to just, you know, seeing is believing. I think he's he is what he is. See, I think this is about age. And I think that's the, that's the first and last thing that came to mind for me. Right. I mean, he's a 200-inning pitcher with outstanding control and enough strikeout stuff. That's the only reason for me. I mean, fear, fear that he turns into Adam Wainwright where he kind of just falls off a cliff. Um, Despite the strong results, the fastball velocity is down to 89.90, which is troubling, and could be a harbinger of bad things to come. But last year he made it work. Uh, He de-emphasized the pitch, so there's a shot that he can make it work again, Um, You know, as long as he follows the same formula. Uh, The market is polarized because pitching is generally devoid of reliable quality options, but Granky's reasonable ceiling is probably close to his draft cost. Um, you know, I don't think there's a path here for him to have a top five season. And right now he's about starting pitcher 15. So, I mean, you're, you're buying in at a top 15 cost for a pitcher whose probable best case is like a top 10 starter. It becomes a little, mm, um, it's a bit of a tough sell at that point. Okay, uh, Miles, make a list. Max pick, 131, min, 44, ADP, 89.07. Michaelis, who we affectionately refer to as the Lizard King, was always going to be yes. polarizing, but he's, the 87 pick spread is really something to behold. Are you closer to Steamer, a 4.03 ERA, 7.32 K per 9, 198 innings, or 2018 on Michaelis? And at what point does he become a buy for you? Well, you know, this is a guy I drafted last year, and uh, I really wasn't sure what I was going I, I knew it was a risk. I wasn't sure what I was getting. I was pleasantly surprised with what he turned out to be. I think what we saw last year was – I know you listened to what I said about him because I loved him. Well, he was the Lizard, <laughs> the lizard King, really, you know, put him over the edge. I was, thinking, I was thinking about him anyway, and then when you have to add that to it, it just makes it awesome. But <laughs> I, I think what we saw was mostly real. I – I can see – listen, second time around, guy's going to make adjustments. I think he's he's not going to have that sparkling ERA that he had last year, which was in the twos. I can see it – you know, I don't see it in the fours, but I definitely see it closer to the mid threes. Um, I think his – that 90 ADP is fine. Uh, I wish the strikeout numbers were a little higher with him. He doesn't have a huge K per nine. It's not terrible, but it's – you know, it's not uh, among the elite. But I, what I do love is that that low walk rate. It is that was an a, amazing thing? I was not expecting to happen from him last year. He helped my K to walk every week, and I think it's it's real. I think I'm closer to the 2018 season than I am to the Steamer projections. I think 403. It's not. A, it's just over four, so it's not crazy if he gets over there. But I think he's more of a mid three guy, and I think he's going to be a solid pitcher. I think he just knows how to pitch. Yeah, he was super consistent last year. His worst month was a 3.67 ERA. Um, like you mentioned, great control. My perception was that he got a little worse in the second half, and he didn't. The skills were actually a little better. Uh, he 
induced more swings outside the zone. The swing strike rate went up. And to me, that makes sense. I mean, Michaelis has good velocity and good enough breaking stuff that I always thought more whiffs would be coming. Um, I'm closer to the ADP here, so I'm not market high or market low. But after taking a second look at Michaelis, I definitely rose up a bit on him. Um, you know, he's a he's a guy that's going to be a popular regression candidate just because he doesn't have the strikeouts um, that people really like to see, and they'll think that this is all luck. Um, I don't see it that way, and I do think that there are some more whiffs to come. So while I'm not, you know, marking Michaelis as like a top 20 starting pitcher, I'm certainly interested enough around top 30 that I might put his name up on the board. And, you know, I, I think that this is another guy, JP, you were talking about team construction earlier. I think Michaelis might be one of those as well, where, um, you know, if you've got enough K's from your first two or three starting pitchers, you can then pull the trigger on Michaelis. If your starting pitchers are a little lighter in the K department, then maybe he's not the guy for you because you're just digging a bigger hole for yourself. Yeah, if you ha- I agree. If you have a, a guy like this, uh, Sale, let's say, and then a couple other decent pitchers, uh, good pitchers at the top, he's the yeah, perfect. If you've, got, if you've got Sale and Paxton. Right, he's the perfect three or four guy for your team. But if, and, you've, got, if you've got like Kershaw and Granke. Yeah. One more thing about probably the, not the move about the strikeouts. I I, I think part of why the strikeouts were you said the stuff is decent, but I think he was uh, really conscious of being efficient and getting through innings and keeping his pitch count low. He was really trying to like work the con- work the contact a lot last season. Oh yeah, he's the guy that fills the zone. Right. Absolutely. So so I'm not sure. Like I don't, I don't think strikeouts concern him. Maybe that's something he picked up in in Japan. That's kind of like a thing over there where, you know, he's not trying to strike out every batter like we know Noah Syndergaard likes to do. He's trying to just get quick outs. So I don't think it's, a, it's an inability issue that he can't get the strikeouts. I just don't think he's trying to. Okay, let's move to Masahiro Tanaka. Max pick 166, min pick 91, an ADP of 132.67. I was pretty outspoken last year that Tanaka was overdrafted. And now is the market tiring of his inconsistency? He's been a borderline ace, borderline unusable, and pretty average the last three seasons. What do you make of Tanaka as the current 38th starting pitcher off the board? I think he's fine right there, 38th starting pitcher. I think that's right around where he belongs. It's kind of a boring answer for me, but he is exactly what you said he is. He's inconsistent. Uh, I think we see a lot more of the same. A few dominant starts, a couple months uh, or a month straight where he's just unhittable. And then he has those blow-ups where the splitter's not working. He loses his own a bit. He loses his confidence uh, playing in Yankee Stadium. He's always you know, susceptible to the home run. I, he's going to be a valuable starting pitcher. 38th is, I think, right where he belongs. I just uh, – I'm not going to go crazy up and, and, and take him any much higher than that. Uh, the splitter is weird with him. You know, some days he's got it, some days he doesn't. Some days he's garbage, some days he's great. Uh, I think he's fine right where, right where he is, and I would take him there with, with confidence because I think you know what you're going to get. You're going to have to deal with the inconsistencies. You're going to have to deal with the blow-ups. But the rest of the time, he should be pretty solid. Yeah, I think Tanaka's split has a lot to do with 
the inconsistency and then a bit of emergence of shiny new toys that has kind of pushed Tanaka down the board a little bit. Um, you know, after being down on Tanaka last year as a top 25 starting pitcher, I'm all over him now as a top 40 starting pitcher. Um, you know, he's got a similar profile to Granky, solid control, enough Ks. But the difference between the two is that Tanaka is now in the extreme ballpark. Um, you know, Granky's ballpark has improved with the humidor. Um, but even with that, Tanaka's good value at this cost because he's learned to pitch with the poor fastball. So while I think, while I still think the lows are very low, I can live with it as SP40 because I'm no longer buying at the top of his potential. All right, let's take it to Sean Newcomb with a max pick of 234 and a min pick of 124. The ADP of 190.47. So we have 110 pick spread for Newcomb. Yeah. Um, you know, that's huge. Is he a you is he a young arm with upside for better production? Or do you think he's too broken to fix and you prefer the max ADP? I think he's a young arm with upside for better production. I'm just not sure how much better that production is gonna be. Uh, I don't think he's too broken to fix. I think he's, he's he's fixable, but I mean you can never really teach control. So the the walks are a big issue. Uh, he had 81 walks last year. The 198 strikeout to walk is not something we love. I do think he's got talent. I I think there's definitely a potential for a much better season, but I know I'm I'm definitely closer towards the back end of that ADP, and I, I'm not taking him anywhere near 124. It's gonna go, it's gonna be past 190, maybe into 210, 220 area. But yeah, I'm not taking him anywhere near that early pick. Yeah, there's some upside here if he can find more control. I'm just not confident that Newcomb's gonna find it. Yeah. I mean, the track record's extensive, and unless he sees a significant uptick in his K rate, I think Newcomb probably needs to get his walk rate under four per nine to take a step forwards in terms of results and ceiling. And I don't know if I see that. I mean, I, I, I think that Newcomb's the type of pitcher that sort of has to be Robbie Ray and that they've, he's got to kind of be effectively, effectively wild. Right. And in order to do that, he's got to see the uptick in Ks as opposed to the, the, the lessening of the walks. Um, you know, there, that's not to say that Newcomb doesn't have his purposes as it stands right now. Um, you know, if you're looking for some decent source of Ks, he can provide those. But overall, I'm more towards the back end with you, Jape, in terms of Newcomb. Uh, he's a whip bomb. The walks are such a factor that the RA can never really be a great asset. And, you know, like I said, he doesn't have that Robbie Ray K rate where that can sort of carry him um, to, to value. So for the most part, I'm, I'm pretty out on Newcomb. Okay, that brings us to our final uh, – player of the night we're going to talk about jake arietta max pick 262 min pick 187 adp of 213.13 arietta is just a year removed from a season with the top 25 output but the market thinks last year is the new norm or or that even worse days are ahead do you think that arietta is a buying opportunity or are you with or, 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 excuse me, and are you with the min pick of approximately SP58? Uh, I'm not near that min pick at all. I'm much closer towards the back end. Um, his ERA has gone up the last three years from 
three well from from if you count the the magical year that he had which really just came out of nowhere in Chicago when it was 177 it went up to 310 353 396 last year and uh conversely the strikeouts went down 236 to 190 to 163 to 138 last year obviously his stuff is seems to be diminishing uh he's pitching in a ballpark that's not great to pitch in I still like the player. I think he could be a serviceable pitcher. You can you can round out your rotation. He can eat some innings for you. Um, taking him closer to like a two twenty, two thirty area, but um, I think the two sixty two is a bit much. He's not that bad, but again, uh, he's obviously seems to be diminishing. Uh, I don't that magical season he had four years ago is really still kind of a mystery because he's never been even close to as dominant again. So I think he's just a guy on on the decline. And, you know, take them late and hope for the best. See, I actually think this price is extremely good. Um, you know, Arietta is a year removed from a season in which he finished as a top 25 starting pitcher. He wasn't great last year, and we saw some decline in both K rate and swing strike rate. But the velo rebounded up to 93-plus on average in terms of his fastball. And he's still very good at limiting damage and contact, only a 27% hard contact rate allowed. And he also had a 51% ground ball rate, which I like. So, I mean, with those type of management skills in terms of contact, you you really don't need him to be a K per inning guy. Um, You know, if he can get it back to 2017 levels, you know, they get thinking eight and a half per nine in terms of Ks. Area is going to be an easy profit, even at the minimum cost. And if it turns out to be a sunk cost at the min pick, it's still not a killer. I mean, you're talking – Maybe your second to last starting pitcher um, at that at that price. So I'm totally into Arietta. Um, you know, I will admit that there is downside, but you know, I, I mean, even even with last year not being the best in terms of skill results, he didn't kill anybody. So you know, he wasn't the reason why you lost with the season that he put together. So I'm. I'm totally in at this price. I think that this is market overreaction, and I'm buying Arietta. Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, Jape, thanks so much for joining us, and we will have you back on. I'm not quite sure when, but uh, we'll work that out offline. And uh, do you want to give any kind of Twitter handle or anything, or are you uh, working on that? Uh, I'm still working on that. My last Twitter handle was uh, sell the New York Mets, which I'm still trying to uh, <laughs> accomplish. That was, you know, Twitter handle made out of spite. So I'll, I'll be back in the Twitter game. I'm going to, you know, redo some things and I'll, I'll be back next time. It was a pleasure to be back. I look forward to being back again. Uh, wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Let's hope uh, Santa Claus Van Wagenen leaves AJ Pollock under the tree. And uh, that's it. We'll hope for the best. Yeah, if they leave AJ, if, if he leaves AJ Pollock <laughs> under the tree, they're they're not going to want none. Um, <laughs> <laughs> AJ Pollock might get hurt crouching yeah. <laughs> under the tree. That's the other thing. <laughs> All right, and as always, guys, you can find me on Twitter at Patrick FWO. We will be back after the new year, as Jabe said. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Happy New Year. And we will talk to you next time.